the Mind Body Connection podcast. The body and mind. With your host, Dr. Phil Parker. Hi, once again, we're continuing our series of seminars during this lockdown period. This is episode number 11. I hope you enjoy it. Hey guys, welcome. It's Phil here. Uh, I'm uh, in my blue room, but I did think wearing this blue t-shirt that maybe I should actually be in Star Trek because I do feel like I'm wearing a Star Trek uniform. Um, Welcome. If you're watching this on uh, catch up uh, because you live in a different part of the world or you're a bit too busy to join me at six, then welcome. If you're here live, welcome to uh, as, as ever, do leave comments um, as you join in, whether you're watching it on, on Catch Up a later date or right now. If you do leave comments uh, on, the re, on the rewatch, then I'll be able to answer some of those uh, either directly on Facebook or on the next one. So please do uh, leave comments even if you're not watching it live. Uh, welcome to people who see me in my Star Trek. Uh, do you want the Star Trek? Uh, of, uh, I don't know which model this is. Some Star Trek fans, Trekkies will tell me. Uh, I think that might be the right one. But really, I think maybe back to the Blue Room. Let's be, let's be serious. Uh, well, actually, we're not being serious today. We are very much looking at all sorts of interesting things that, that trip us up. And particularly, one of the things we're going to be looking at is relationships, other people in relationships. One of the most important things you can have when managing tricky or toxic relationships is to maintain your sense of humor. Uh, and we have to be careful about this because, of course, we don't want to be um, laughing at people, but it's just remembering to keep your sense of perspective. I welcome all these uh, familiar faces from various parts of my life. I've got people from uh, my uh, training course, my, my college, my practitioners, lightning process practitioners, NLP practitioners, hypnotherapy practitioners, coaches, and people from my London Met Uni course. So welcome to you all. Um, if you have questions, please do drop them down. Um, I'm going to be talking a fair, fair bit about relationships today because it has been something that people have been uh, asking me. Um, uh, but if you have something that's off topic, that's fine as well, because that's what we're here for. We're here to talk about how can you thrive uh, any time in life, but particularly in this tricksy time where all sorts of restrictions have been put put upon us as to the normal things we can do or the people we're forced up against or the people that we're going to be forced up against who've managed to avoid for the last three months. Uh, so there's lots of stuff uh, going on. We've got a few questions coming up. Christy says, how do you deal with people who talk over you? Interesting. Well, that may come up as we talk about some of the stuff we're going to be focusing on. Uh, I also had some questions. Let me just grab I've got so many pieces of paper in front of me, virtual pieces of paper. Um, how do we manage our worries uh, for those of us who feel this way around the level of risk going back to work and the risk of transmission rate of COVID uh, going up to unmanageable levels again when people are allowed to meet up more? Yeah, okay, we'll look at that because that was something that was asked last week and I didn't completely finish it. So we'll look at that one. We've also got a message from Sarah talking about her nervous system, how her nervous system is constantly being tripped into uh, extreme emotions and busyness and anxiety and alertness. Um, your question, Sarah, is a bit too complex and, and, and specific to answer on this forum, but I will send you a message on Facebook. Uh, but 
generally if you find that your nervous system is going into shock um and a great example of this is you know when you're at school if you're a naughty kid like i was and you're sitting on your chair and you tilt back on the back two legs and if you and you just kind of play around with that and then sometimes you just go a bit too far back and you feel like you're falling and that triggers the the the, the, the kind of fall reflex uh, that feeling of suddenly your nervous system goes into overdrive is a switching on of the sympathetic nervous system quick dose of adrenaline into your system maybe a little bit of cortisol as well and some other stuff uh, but basically your nervous system goes on hyper alert uh, and that feeling which many of us have felt or possibly if you're watching a scary movie and the music starts to build uh, and you feel that feeling that is that is your nervous system going into protective shock it's it's there to kind of prepare us for action there's nothing wrong with it as long as it's appropriate and what's happened what happens a lot with people is either they're in shock or stress or as we often call it the physical emergency response because the whole body goes into a response they're either in it too much of the time so they constantly trigger it and as a result adrenaline interestingly uh, just builds up in their system or they are in it in the wrong moments you know when there's nothing to be stressed about and either of those things is not very good. You, of course, one of the big problems, of course, is you can be stressed by the fact that you're stressed. And then you've got a, a vicious circle where the symptoms of being stressed, like, oh, my God, I feel awful. My heart's beating. I feel stressed. I feel like I'm in shock. I'm feeling hot. Will create stress, which drives the cycle. And with adrenaline, they reckon that adrenaline has a half-life, which means... Um, half of it's removed from your system about every eight to ten seconds it goes pretty quickly okay so you produce a dose of adrenaline eight to ten seconds later only about half of a bit left and another eight to ten seconds another half will be left another eight to ten seconds another half will be left so you, you go down quite quickly unless of course in the period where it's reducing you re-stress yourself you boost it up again and so some people they spend their day just getting higher and higher in the state of adrenaline and then when they try and sleep of course which is something we will be talking about they can't sleep because their body's completely wired and then of course as we've mentioned before just before we wake up we have a bit of a burst of cortisol and adrenaline to get us ready for life and if uh, we went to bed in a stressed state we'll have high levels and when we wake up we'll have high levels so people can often feel quite stressed in the morning when they wake up Okay, so those are some questions I had to talk about. Um, and ooh, we've got some more stuff. Bullying between siblings. Excellent. Uh, Rachel Rachel loves Tuesday. That's lovely. Uh, stressed by the fact I'm stressed. Yes. <laughs> when people give you opinions you didn't ask for. Very good, Vicky. Uh, I think I saw Vicky putting rubber ducks on top of a dog on Facebook. It made me laugh. Thank you very much for that, Vicky. <laughs> Um, so I'm going to cover that other question that I, that I didn't completely finish last week, which was about how do we deal with going back into the world? Who, anyone feeling this way? They're a bit concerned about if we go back into the world, there are a number of things that people are con concerned about. But one of them can be um, going back into the world, getting infected or potentially having the virus sneak up on us or just going back into the world and having to deal with the day-to-day -day stuff. You know, we got used to sitting in our pajamas or our Star Trek uniform uh, and, you know, not washing as often as we do and all the rest of it or yeah, just comfortably sitting around doing what we're doing, going back into the real world. Uh, a bit like the end of a long school holiday. Um, what else have we got here? Questions. Uh, when... Uh, people feel they have to tell you where you've gone wrong or doing wrong. Yeah, okay, good. Um, do some people take long to retrain their stress response? 
No, the stress response is, is pretty much, in my experience, universally quite easy to train yourself out of it. The big problem we've got is whilst you're training your body to get calm, if you keep on getting stressed, you, when you get stressed, your brain doesn't think very carefully. So it, it can be quite easy to get yourself into a panic situation again. So it's just constantly, A, calming yourself down and B, very, very important, being kind to yourself in the process because of course if you start beating yourself up it increases your stress uh <laughs> Renera's not afraid of the virus excellent um how can different people uh learn different things quickly it's really about having the right focus but i would say being kind to yourself is probably one of the most important things um anxious uh JD saying anxious about whether I can fulfill my commitment to work whilst homeschooling the kids. Yeah. Um, Carrie. Hello, Carrie. She's uh, from Melbourne. By the looks of things. Brilliant. Well done. Welcome. Um, and well done, Australia and New Zealand for keeping their coronavirus rates down. Excellent work. So first of all, if people are running fear about the virus, it's something you really need to let go of because it won't make any difference to whether you catch the virus apart from it might actually increase your chances of getting it because we know that stress has a, a negative effect on your immune system. So the virus is something relatively passive to. What we can do is kind of go, well, what's the best I can do to improve my health? It's a bit like every time you go on a bus or, or, or drive a car, you know, there's a small chance some idiot may, may hit the bus or the car, dent your car can't really do anything about that. What we can do is make sure we're driving as safely as we can. We're taking care of our side of things. I'm going to come to this again when we talk about relationships because that's a very pivotal thing in relationships. So um, if somebody is starting to worry about going back into the real world, then we need to find ways to stop doing it. Lots of programs, free stuff on the website, uh, philpark.org that you can look at, uh, at as well as some products you can buy. And if you've done the lightning process, it's really spending some time or, or anything that you've, you've got, NLP, positive psychology, coaching, thinking about the future event and asking yourself, how do I want to feel about this? Bringing choice, back into your conversation. Again, this will come in when we start talking about the drama triangle. How do we stop to stop feeling a victim in these situations? Like there's nothing we can do. So start thinking about the future and the event that you're a little bit concerned about and ask yourself, okay, how do I want to be around what's coming along? Okay, about going out and potentially coming in, in touch with people who've got a virus. How do I want to feel? What would be the most useful way for me to be around this? And to spend some time planning that and connecting with those feelings, emotions uh, and experiences, which in turn will start to, through neuroplasticity, the more you train your brain, the easier it will be for your body and your mind to be in that zone when you go in that place. I've got some other questions coming here. Uh, sometimes I'm not even being aware of what's causing the stress. I just know that I can't sleep. If you're not sure what's causing the stress, which is a very common thing, people are like, I don't know what I'm stressed about, uh, then knowing it can be useful, uh, but you can also just be very kind to yourself and go and go, well, I don't quite know what's going on, um, but I choose to find a way to calm myself down and to trust that I will understand and recognize what it is. Um, so Sarah, there we are. I talked a little bit right at the beginning, Sarah. I don't know if you heard that about about your nervous system, uh, and there are 
some great ways to change it and we'll do a bit of it on this uh, this call but you may need some uh, personalized tailored help for that uh, automatic stress response to hearing music from neighbors long-term issue reinforced by a number of years I like different scenarios now becoming hyper vigilant and listening to it yeah that's the real trouble um, having external people that you can't control like neighbors who do stuff you don't want to do is, is a recipe for disaster because we want to stop them making the noise but we may appeal to their you know sense of good neighborliness but they may not do anything about it and then we're left with this sense of grrr and in fact we're suddenly in what's called victim position which i've mentioned once already and as you say we start to become hyper vigilant about it uh, and what's interesting is that doesn't change how much the neighbor makes the noise but it does change how the noise affects us so looking at okay what can we do how can we change the way we feel about it and sometimes you have to move it's a it's, it, neighborhood just neighborly disputes are pretty tricky but ideally you don't want to move what you want to do is find a way to settle down your nervous system so that the music just flows through you so um I actually really like music. I, I'm, as you probably know, if you if you watch my Instagram or Facebook posts, I'm quite often playing music, and I don't mind loud music. If someone's playing loud music next to me, I'm quite happy. I, I, I can sleep through it. It really doesn't bother me at all. So we know we can switch in and switch out of the security. It's a bit like sometimes you can be um, in bed at night. Probably have to go back a few years now before digital clocks, but you could be in bed at night, and some nights you just drift asleep. And other nights you can hear this clock ticking like Big Ben just next to you. And then sometimes you can't hear it. And our attention, and if you listen in your room now, you'll hear certain noises. When you pay attention to them, you can be aware of them. And when you're focused on something else, that's where your focus is. Our brain has this capacity, doesn't it, to switch off all sorts of bits of information. The classic one, of course, is putting your shoes and socks on in the morning, assuming you are wearing shoes and socks at the moment. And when you put your shoes and socks on, you feel them to start with. After a while, you don't feel them at all. Yeah. And, and our body constantly has this kind of, it's, it's can't be bothered, it switches off all sorts of bits of information. There's too much information coming to us. We have part of our brain called the reticular formation, whose job is, as the information kind of comes into our brain to go, is that important enough? No, it's probably not, it shoves it away. Uh, a bit like as you look for your Twitter feed, you see, you know, I don't want another advert for this thing that I looked at on the web just a few weeks ago, they keep on bothering me about. You just scroll through. Okay. So our, our brain has the ability to, to focus and filter in or out of information and it depends how well we've trained it. Uh, neighbor doing DIY, yeah, and being noisy in the garden. Again, I mean, I'm recording a lot of stuff at the moment. My neighbor's doing a whole bunch of DIY. What can you do? Well, what you've got to do is use the time when it's quiet and when it isn't, you can have a chat to them. But of course, they won't always do what you want them to and nor should they because people are free to do what they want. Okay, so Leslie, you want to train yourself uh, to be calm, compassionate. Uh, one of, the, one of the, the things I sometimes talk about is imagine if you were someone who um, was struck down by an illness that made you completely deaf. Uh, and they, the doctors kind of said to you, or wrote a letter so you could read it, saying, you'll be deaf for the rest of your life. You know, uh, And you're like... Mm. And then one day... They, uh, something happens and suddenly you can hear and the first thing you hear is your neighbor's noise how would you feel about your neighbor's noise then well you'd be like oh great I can hear how fabulous you know so 
it's, it's, it's working out how can I change how I feel about this thing. Okay, uh, so what else do we need to talk about that people have asked me while I've been waffling on about various things and answers to questions? Um, okay. Yeah, hypervigilance is, is core to lots of things, you know, whether it's stress, noise, uh, not being able to sleep. Um, okay, excellent. So what I want to talk about, one of the things I really want to talk about is uh, about the drama triangle. Uh, if I can make it, well, it's tricky because the point should be at the bottom. Okay, there's a triangle. So the drama triangle is a really interesting way of looking at things. Uh, and it comes from the work of Stephen Cartman, who studied or, or kind of was quite informed by um, Eric Byrne, who started transactional analysis. Uh, talk a little bit about transactional analysis, first of all. So transactional analysis says uh, people have pretty much three ways of operating. Either we operate as a, an adult, yeah, which most of us in the call are, we're adults. And we can sometimes, of course, act as though we're a child. We can find ourselves being quite childish, stamping our foot, getting upset, being cross, sulking. And sometimes we can also find ourselves acting almost like a parent, so we can parent people. Now, there are times, of course, when being a child is perfectly reasonable, and that is, of course, when you are a child. Uh, there are times when being a parent is also reasonable, which is when you're parenting. And there's times when being an adult is completely reasonable, which is when you're an adult. Problem comes when you apply the wrong kind of way of working or the least appropriate way of working for a situation. So if you, uh, you know, if you're a brain surgeon where your job is to be an adult, oh, I think my uh, stream has just stopped for a minute. Let's find out what happened. Okay, I think I'm back. So if you are a, a an adult, you need to be in adult position. So if you're a brain surgeon and you're an adult, then and something goes wrong you can't really lie on the floor and uh, go it's not fair things aren't working properly you need to not be that way you need to be an adult way okay equally if you're helping people coaching or you're in business then parenting people being a parental is is not that useful either so choosing the right place to be if you're an adult interacting with another adult you really need to both be in adult mode but sometimes you'll see people being parental. Uh, we had, I think, somebody saying people giving unwanted advice. Somebody asked the question about that. That is people being parental when they, they haven't been asked. Yeah. So what you need to do is this in this way. Okay. Uh, being childish is taking a role where it's not, it's not fair. Everybody's against me. I can't do this. That those kind of conversations, which sometimes we can all find ourselves sneaking into, that's not a very great place to be either. And what we then do is often call people in to help us, adults and parents. So uh, transaction analysis looked a lot at where, what you know, what role are we playing in this? Drama triangle takes it another level, and it's one of the most interesting things um, I think that describes stuff going on in relationships. In really extreme examples, uh, it's really clear. We have this thing where there's three positions. So people take three roles and very often they have a familiar role they're quite often in. The first one we'll talk about is called the victim role. Now, it's very clear to recognize that being a victim is not the same as actually being a victim. So there are people who are like 
victims of torture, trauma, racism, and all the rest of things, where they actually have had someone bullying them and causing trouble. We're not talking about that. We're talking about people who adopt the role of victim, where they take on that perspective of victimhood. Yeah. So the kind of statements you'll, you'll hear is, oh, it's not fair, or, I can't do this, uh, this is too difficult. Those kind of conversations are examples of victimhood. And in this place of victim, we become, or at least we experience ourselves as being powerless, um, that we can't achieve the things that we want to, and there's a sense of poor me, you know, the world is against us. And you can probably think of some people you know who are like that, that that's just their way of being. That's how they operate a lot of the time. And you may even notice that in yourself, if you're insightful, uh, that there are places where you take that role, or maybe you do it too often, too much of the time. What's interesting about the victim is it's kind of a game that they play. It's a role that they adopt. And as a result of doing it, they encourage other people to take other roles. So one of the things they will do is encourage people to adopt a rescuing role. So a rescuing role is somebody who uh, takes the role of trying to help. So they see the victim and they try and help them, which sounds like a great thing. Rescuing sounds like a great thing. The big problem with rescuing, of course, is when you are rescuing, what you're doing is you're saying to the victim, Fundamentally, you can't sort this out yourself. You're not clever enough or wise enough or mature enough or whatever. And so you need someone like me to fix this. And what that does is it just perpetuates the victim's idea of nothing I can do about this. So the rescuer comes along and, and starts to fix things. But at that point, they're not very helpful because they're suggesting things be done this way. They're doing the things for the victim and the victim probably could do themselves but now doesn't get an opportunity because the rescues come in and often the rescue will take this job take this role because it stops them having to look at their own stuff yeah they can just kind of distract themselves and look at someone else the big problem with being a rescuer is the third position which is what's called the perpetrator or persecutor or bully and this is a role that people can adopt or can be thrown into so the victim very often will ask for help if someone doesn't give help, like, please help me, I'm, I need help. If somebody goes, well, look, you know, this is your stuff, you need to sort it out. Then quite often the victim will go, you're a nasty person, you're a bully. And what they'll do is, is throw this person or cast this person into the role of being a perpetrator. You can also, of course, be a perpetrator. You can spend your life telling people what you need to do is this. So coming along and saying you're useless, can't do this for yourself I need to sort this out for you that very parental role a rescuer so say sometimes we come along and try and help the victim but they may get to a point where they go you know what this doesn't I'm not seeing to change things because with victims it's very difficult to make any change because everything you do they're like you know I can't really do it you know they're taking that role of having no responsibility and no options and relying on the person on, on the person who's a rescuer to fix it for them and the rescuer may get a bit cheesed off with this at point, some point and go you know I've tried I've given you money I've done this for you and it doesn't seem to be helping you know what else can I do I, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna have to step away from this and what does the victim do at that point they go oh I knew you were one of those kind of people that was never going to really be there for me and they convert this person who's been trying to rescue them into a 
persecutor or perpetrator. Within all the roles, it's quite easy, even if you start as a rescuer or you start as a persecutor, is to start to feel victimized. So if the victim attacks the rescuer and goes, you haven't helped me, you said you were going to help me and you haven't and you just don't care, you're one of those kind of people, then the rescuer who feels they've been very good and honest and tried to help starts to feel, oh, it's really, I'm really upset, that's really unfair. And this, of course, is a statement, once again, of victim. So we can see this really interesting triangle where people step into uh, all these different roles, but the most, probably the most difficult role is the victim role. And you may think you know people who have a kind of sense of uh, they seem to be complaining a lot of the time. When you give them solutions, they find problems. Uh, when you try and help them, they uh, they don't feel it's very helpful. They feel that you're not really taking care of them. When you ask them to do something or take some action, they start to feel affronted that you're not really paying attention or caring for them. Maybe people, if you know people like that, let me know, you don't have to name them, but you may know people like that who, no matter what you do, so I, I, I have a friend of a friend who um, they, uh, they had a, a mortgage together and um, the person, the victim actually, started stealing money from the joint account. And when it was pointed out that, oh, there seems to be some money not where it should be. Do you know anything about it? Instead of going, oh, I borrowed it temporarily, they went, how dare you accuse me of stealing? Yeah, That's a classic victim response to uh, somebody calling them on something. Well, we've got a few, uh, few things coming up. Codependency and dependency roles. Codependency roles, a little bit different from victim, persecutor and rescuer, but quite often in codependency, the person who is um, taking care is is playing a, a rescuing role for sure. Um, I've had to work hard to come out of victim type mentality. Yeah, very much raised in my family with this mentality. They do suggest that a lot of this comes from your childhood. Well, well done if you have managed to do that because it's, it's a big ask, but it's really important because being stuck in the victim mentality gives you a pretty shitty life. It's really not fun because it really feels like every the world is against you and there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, Julie knows so many of them. Excellent. Um, so one of the big questions is, what do you do when you find yourself rubbing up against any of these roles? And as I say, that the, the victim role is one of the trickiest ones. We've had people talk a little bit about some of the persecutor roles where people say, uh, what you need to do is this. You know, people giving unnecessary or unwanted advice. Uh, in your in the neighbour disputes that people are talking about, both people will probably feel victimised. The person who's who's playing their music goes, "Why can't I bloody play my music? It's, it's a free country. I'm just playing. It's not that loud." You know, they'll feel like they've been wronged by the other person, and the person who goes, "It's too loud," feels they're being wronged. So we get people in this right wrong judgment kind of thing all the time, which makes it really difficult for people to move forwards. Um, so what do you do when you find someone who is uh, well and truly uh, camped out uh, in victim role and has the t-shirt, uh, has built a condominium in the area and is not going to leave? There are a number of approaches for this. One of, one of the approaches they suggest is just leave. Don't play their game. Just say, I'm not going to I'm not going to join in. Now, what's interesting, of course, is as soon as you say, I'm not going to join in with this game, they will cast you as perpetrator. It's like, well, how can you walk away from me? What an awful human you are. And quite often what they'll be really good at 
is knowing what button to press. Uh, they'll know what the, what would catch you emotionally. So, like, if you're a good person, you know, a kind person, they'll say something like, "I thought you were a kind person. I thought you cared about people, but clearly you don't." Because that that's got the best chance of hooking you back in. Because you couldn't bear to be thought of as that that thing that you're not. So victims are quite busy getting on with creating all this stuff around them. Uh, I read a really interesting thing about victims, uh, or how to deal with victims, which was quite nice. It said, um, because cause what you need to do with someone who's in, it, basically the, the, the one of the solutions to the drama triangle is that everybody chooses a more useful role than the one they currently got. So uh, you would see that the, the persecutor becomes a challenger so kindly and thoughtfully they kind of go you know i do think you can do i do think you can achieve you know what's it going to take for you to achieve so instead of saying yes yeah, you can't do stuff they move into a challenger supportive challenging the rescuer instead of going i'll fix this for you or have you tried this do this follow this advice moves to a coaching role which involves lots of questions so instead of telling people what to do it says well what do you think you should do and sets very clear boundaries like instead of i'm here for you day and night and if you have been in rescuing mode and have known victims you will find suddenly you're you know answering the phone at three o'clock in the morning you're you know driving to get them something from the supermarket at two o'clock in the morning you're doing things that just have no boundaries so as you move into a coaching role you would kind of go look i've got 20 minutes to talk about this now i'm very happy to do that at the end of 20 minutes i've got to go and that's the way it is but of course as soon as you go could be the victim throws you into oh only spent 20 minutes it doesn't really care and the victim has to move into a survivor or a thriver mode which is great if they can do that that's amazing where they start to think okay what am i going to do about this so they start to become active rather than passive in the situation but that's quite a big ask for them because that's not normally where they live they normally live in feed me feed me take care of me everything's so awful so this thing i was reading just today actually was very interesting it said what they suggest is to spend some time and then it's a bit of a commitment and you're not taking the rescuing role you're not taking the perpetrator role. you're taking much more of a coaching role and you and you spend some time listen listening saying okay tell me what's going on let's hear and you listen without agreeing so they go life is awful and this is shit and you know, and you go okay i hear that you don't go yes it is you go i hear that <clears throat> um then what you do once you've listened so that they have a chance to be heard is you agree with them that this is their experience you don't argue with it you go okay given that the situation is terrible and no one likes you and the world seems to conspire against you and there is no end in sight so agreeing and if you know about hypnosis is of my friend John actually approach given that all these things are true there's no end in sight the world seems to conspire against you who do you want to be in spite of that so given all those things are true I'm not going to argue with you about that that being the case who do you want to be and that's a very interesting conversation because it sidesteps that whole noise about how awful the world it just goes yeah okay i get that and given that 
who do you want to be? Who do you, who do you need to be to, to deal with this? And what that does is it moves them from a stuck position to one of choice and one of empowerment and one of being active. So I've got a few questions here. Uh, we've got, can you give an example of how to change the stress response quickly in order to move into a calmer state? Um, okay. So let's talk about that because one of the things with the drama triangle and everything in life but the drama triangle is victims are really good as i say at hooking you into not a great state so with your neighbors there'll be all sorts of things that will trip you but but life is like that there's lots of stuff what we need to be to, to be able to be is to be to have our state dependent on how we want to feel rather than what the environment is throwing at us now it's a very simple thing to say and a lifetime possibly to achieve that. But the more you can do that, the happier and successful your life will be. And certainly things like good psychology, good therapy, good NLP, good hypnosis, lightning process, and all the rest of the stuff, fundamentally teaching you how do you keep your center, your space? How do you keep being who you want to be when the world isn't really calling that? The world isn't really helping that much. So, um, How do we switch our state? Well, one of these is, let's do this quickly now. <clears throat> what I'd like you to do, uh, what's the easiest way to do this? Is just first of all, notice uh, out of 10, think of a scale between zero and 10, where 10 is exactly what you want and zero is not, okay? So let's say 10 is deeply calm and zero is not deeply calm. Notice the language, we're not saying 10 is not stressed and zero is super stressed because that will neuroplastically wind up your stress levels. Instead, 10 is deeply calm and zero is not deeply calm. Secondly, notice my voice. My voice adopts a calm sound. You want to do this in your own head. So just ask yourself at the same speed as me, on a scale of zero to 10, where 10 is deeply calm and zero is not deeply calm what number am i at the moment now as you ask yourself in that way your levels of calmness will become stronger because you're actually starting to trigger different neurology if this is stress neurology then if you talk slowly in that way with those words calmly your breathing will slow speed of your thoughts will slow and your calmness will increase and then you just say okay let's say your number is five or eight just ask yourself when was a time when i was even more relaxed than now just by doing that again you'll be triggering the part of the nervous system that leads you towards calmness and then spend some moments taking yourself back to a time when you felt calm and one of the other things to do is when you take yourself back to a time when you're calm is think about what you can see so if you're on a beach what do you see what can you hear and what can you feel now if you do that you'll occupy your brain enough that your stress levels and hormones will reduce and the calm neurotransmitters will start to be produced and your body will feel better. And that is part of the lightning process, there's a lot more to it, but that's part of what the lightning process does. 
Okay, so that's that question, Leslie. Sharon says, what was a perpetrator role? So perpetrator role is is one that you could adopt. You could be somebody who just tells people off all the time, is quite bullying, is quite parental, and thinks everybody is an idiot. Okay, so some people adopt that role. I'm sure you know people like that. But it also can be a role that's forced upon you where somebody accuses you of being a perpetrator. Saying, I thought you were going to help me, but all you've done is make things worse. Yeah. So a victim can throw someone into a cast someone as a perpetrator role doesn't mean to say you are a perpetrator but quite often uh, they'll try and get you to wear that clo those clothes as it were hope that makes sense uh emma how lovely to see the fabulous emma if you haven't met emma you got to meet emma she's an amazing if anybody is uh, uh, someone who is uh, uh, in love with life and excited about stuff then emma is your girl recommend hanging out with emma um I met her skiing, which is an interesting thing. Uh, many people know I'm quite good at most things. And, and, and my, my wife and my friends get quite annoyed with me. They're like, you can play the guitar and you can play the piano and you can do this. Uh, one thing I'm really not good at is skiing. Isn't that right, Emma? She'll tell you that's true. Um, so then, hi, Annette, welcome. And Julie, <laughs> definitely the old me, thinks everyone is an idiot. Yeah, easy to do. Um, you know, one of the things we often talk about is that um, it, it's really easy to see other people as being the problem. You know, yeah, if it wasn't for other people, everything would be easy, wouldn't it? It's like the trouble is there are other people in the world, so we need to find a better way to do it. Otherwise, you just have to be a hermit. Okay? Uh, seems like the victim holds all the cards. They kind of, They kind of do if you let them. You know, they, they, I mean, the perpetrator can as well, and the rescuer can try and manage things. But the, the victim is actually a very, very powerful position. And quite often you see these interesting role reversals where you would imagine the victim would be powerless, but they're not. They are very, very powerful, drawing people in, managing the whole situation. But they don't have any power if you refuse to engage with them. If you go, I'm just not doing this. And they go, but you're nasty. And you go, yeah, whatever. You know, just decide not to 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 buy into that noise. Um, the book that Eric Byrne, uh, one of the books he wrote, was called "The Games People Play," and, and it's all about this that it's almost like a role that people adopt. Um, hi, Emery. Nice to see you too. How to deal with a narcissist? Okay. Well, actually, a lot of this stuff comes from uh, a book that Cartman uh, uh, wrote, which is about dealing with narcissists. And narcissists um, can take a number of these roles, not usually the victim, apart from people who don't understand me, uh, but they can quite often take the perpetrator role, where there's just like, you know, nothing you do is any good, or it's not important. Or sometimes they can step completely out of the, any kind of relationship with anybody. Uh, but in doing that, um, quite often people will come and try and rescue them and try and be there for them and all sorts of other stuff. So how do you get out of the drama triangle completely? It depends which role you find yourself in. So if you find yourself sulking or feeling poor me, uh, then you're more likely to be in the <laughs> you're more likely to be in the victim role. If you find yourself blaming other people, you could be in the victim role. You could be in the perpetrator role. If you find yourself rescuing people, you're in the rescuing role. And we can move around. We often do move around. Uh, what you need to do is anytime you find yourself in one of those places which and it doesn't feel that good it may feel familiar and like home 
but it won't feel very good is kind of go right what's going on here identify the role you're in so if you're like oh, poor me you're in a victim role and you want to ask yourself okay I need to move into thriver or survivor mode. I need to look at what are my choices? What's good about the world? You know, just really turn it on its head and ask yourself to be proactive in refocusing on what do I need to see? What do I need to focus on? If you find yourself being a perpetrator, so having a go, judging people all the time, which is again a very common role that people take on, notice that you're doing that and kind of go, right, is this useful for me? It isn't, I choose not to do it. And the same with rescue. If you find yourself rescuing, anyone rescuing here? There's probably a few rescuers on the call. Classically, in um, in any anybody who's interested in therapy or change, and a lot of people on this call will be, just because that's what we're talking about. You know, people who haven't got any interest in this at all won't be here. If you're somebody who's interested in helping people, we have to be really careful. We're not stepping into the rescuing role. Um, the rescuing role disempowers people because it's it says you can't fix this on your own you need a, you need someone clever like me and kind yeah uh, so you, in a lot of the courses i teach which are to practitioners there's a lot of people very empathic very kind very compassionate uh, and very often they're not good enough at boundaries it's a very very common thing and i'm not judging people for that it's just a very common thing you see in people who want to give they over give because if giving is good, then giving more must be even better. Uh, and they can end up a dry husk because they've used everything up and not taken care of themselves. Um, hi, Michelle, good to see you. Uh, Fleur, uh, be a rescuer. Yeah, rescue is, I say, very common. Um, and, and one of the things about it is it feels like it's a good thing because you know, we're taking care of people. Oh, what a lovely person you are. But it's easy to overuse that strength. Uh, very very quickly can I discuss boundary setting uh, yeah so boundary setting is you know in a in a normal adult adult relationship it's completely fine to say to somebody listen let's meet at 10 o'clock you know and if they don't turn up till like 12 to go we're, we're supposed to meet at 10 you know to call them on it and they should go look I'm really sorry got the diary mixed up the car broke down um, let's reschedule. You know, that would be a normal adult adult response. Uh, if you said to them when they turned up at twelve, we had a meeting at twelve, and they go, "Oh, don't be so cruel! I've had such a awful day. He's such a mean person." Then they're clearly not really responding in an adult way. So most adults will deal with boundaries relatively good. Although, of course, we do get bent out of shape by stuff. So sometimes when somebody goes, "Look." you said you were going to be here at this time and you weren't we can go oh, it's just not fair and what we're doing there is not not being had up and stepping into victim mode so setting boundaries is fine as long as you set them in a kind way again we can be perpetrators in the way we set boundaries you have to be here at this time if you don't you're a fool you know that's a perpetrator setting a boundary there's no choice in that there's no agreement but if we set clear boundaries and someone then doesn't deliver on it and then gets upset when they're called on it and i'm sure we can all know people like this then uh, and we got here uh exploding doormat when i was exploding doormat yeah if you give too much you can you can go i'm not having this anymore and then you change into a perpetrator or and a victim at the same time so unfair everyone demands too much of me all the time so if you set decent boundaries in a reasonable way and somebody isn't happy with them then it's because they've got some stuff going on yeah, uh, and again, it's like okay, uh, you can you can do that. Given that all this stuff is going on, how do you want to be? But you need to 
they need to be ready. They need to be ready to move from victim mode and some people really aren't ready. Um, I think another thing I'll talk about, which I have a little slideshow, it may or may not work. Let's see if the slideshow works. Okay, hey, I'm tiny. <laughs> this might work which is uh something i've talked about before i've got some graphics on it and it's uh, it's uh, it very much fits with what we're talking about today which is we've got to distinguish some very important things and these things uh, let me just get my thing up there we go these things are if you find that people are pushing your button yeah we all have buttons you know we have we have things that if people talk about it makes us uh collapse shrink down into tiny uh, us or to be or to be sad or wronged or whatever so uh, maybe some people can drop down their buttons what are the things that that, that still catch them uh one of mine is my mum as many people know when she rings me up i don't know if i told you about this one one year, uh, she said, uh, said to me, have you made any New Year's resolutions? And I said, um, no, I haven't. I don't, don't, really, don't really subscribe to that. She said, I have. I said, what, did you, what was your New Year's resolution? And she said, for you to ring me more often. <laughs> so um, the, yeah, Tiny Phil, do you like Tiny Phil? Uh, <laughs> so you can see the slideshow. So some people are great at pushing your buttons. What are your buttons? Uh, another button for me is a uh, customer service when they say your call is really important to us and then put you on hold for 50 minutes what buttons what buttons do you have that get pressed um so if that happens you've got to stay calm and one of the best ways to do that is to practice what's called the window technique <laughs> i found my mum today <laughs> Uh, how can I? Oh, how can I help my teenage son come out of victim? Be ready to come out of victim role. Well, interestingly, teenagers is a great time to to sit in victim role. Um, how can I help my teenage son? I think the only thing you can do is just be kind and be the best you, um, because we have this interesting thing in teenage years where when someone's a kid we can normally get them to do stuff yeah um we can manipulate them in all sorts of ways when they get to be a teenager they suddenly realize they've got some power and they they don't have to do what they need to do and then a lot of our strategies that we used to use don't work anymore and it's a very tough very tough place to be as a parent as many of you know uh, and the best thing to do is just be there for them be compassionate talk to them but if you talk to them say I'd like to talk about this. Is this something you want to talk about at the moment? And if they go, no, stop talking about it. Because if you just plough on regardless, you're not really showing them any respect and you won't get anywhere. Uh, how do we deal with someone who's inconsistent, says one thing and then does the other, uh, almost like gaslighting, uh, decide if you really want to be friends with them because that's not very nice behaviour. Uh, if you're related to them or married to them, then there's a whole other bunch of things we need to do. Um, Fleur says best thing she does with her teenagers give her space. Uh, <laughs> Jenny had an interesting experience on a course where we did timelines, so that's one of the things that triggers her. Uh, so, first thing is stay calm and practice the window technique. The window, oh, I pressed the wrong button there. Window technique is 
oops when you clean windows the big problem you have is you're left with smears on the windows right okay and the biggest problem with the smears is when you go around the other side to clear them the smears it seems to be we're on the other side of the window not the side you're on now okay so you're constantly going either side trying to find out where the smear is and there is a solution which many of you will know because i've told you this story before what is the solution well if you want to clean windows properly then what you need to do is when you clean on the uh, outside you wipe up and down and when you clean on the inside you wipe side to side and then if there are any smears you know which side they're on and the relevance of this is people are in some ways like windows in that when we relate to people we need to distinguish is the smear is the problem is the issue on their side of the window or our side of the window if it's on our side we should clear that up that is our responsibility if it's on their side of the window that is not our responsibility it's theirs and if we get lured into thinking that we can fix it we can't it's not on our side of the window that's their side of the fence as it were yeah so the victim will go i can't clean the window please clean it for me and the rescue will try desperately to clean it but they'll never be able to clean it because it's not on their side it's on the victim's side it's the other person's side so really distinguish are you trying to fix something that is not yours to fix to clean up something that isn't yours to clean up that you don't have the capacity to clean up or are you cleaning up are you, are you paying attention to the things you should be clearing up okay so any final questions before we finish this fascinating uh, dive into the wonderful world we go back to uh, oh, i go back to star trek why not um which one do you like that one i think maybe the uh ooh, there we go all the crew have gone so um what <laughs> because i'm such a persecutor they've all run away so any any more questions about how to deal with people from what we talked about today okay many people who suffer have suffered from me have been bullied i think it's necessary some people especially family members we may have to deal with to be assertive and claim your own clear boundaries yeah it's true um it's interesting if you work with uh, patients uh, if you're a clinician then they can often see you as a rescuer and when you say to them look i can only do this much you have to do that bit anyone in victim mentality will go why are you not helping me what's the matter with you why don't you like me what's you know you know good as a, as a therapist and and they can start attacking and so the victim can then move into perpetrator mode excellent uh well i'm glad uh, the jail pick i don't think i got the jail pick on this one i think it's on the the zoom call um what about that divisive person in a team affecting teamwork i mean it's very tricksy when you've got someone in a team who's running this stuff because what they do is anytime someone calls them on it if they're an adult they'll go yep yeah. they'll put their hand up and go now you're right i need to sort this but of course what they'll often do is go uh, you're i'm going to make a grievance against you because you're you know misabusing or disabusing my you know right to be who i want to be and then they start to become a perpetrator they move you've probably seen this when they're called on it they become a, a perpetrator or it's, or sometimes they collapse and go oh it's so awful the world's nobody hates me i don't realize what trouble i've got and they really step into that and then the person who's 
you know, just been saying this needs to be dealt with, is cast into the role of perpetrator. So it's really, really messy. When that's not, when the boundaries are not clear, um, trying to get rid of people like this in employment is really difficult. They almost invariably go to tribunal to try and get, you know, their, you know, their, 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 their position upheld. Um, so it's very, very, mess very messy. Uh, <laughs> it, it is tough. It's tough. Um, at, uh, <clears throat> unlike with the neighbours, sometimes you physically have to exit and go, like, this is just not worth it because it's not my job to change or fix these people. Uh, <clears throat> and I don't generally recommend men leaving environments. I usually recommend resolving it. But there are times when you just go, this, this is just not worth my time. I'm going to go somewhere else. You need to check in with yourself and go, right, am I being a victim? Or am I being a perpetrator or a rescuer? Or is this, this just not tenable? <clears throat> And you know, it, it's the same with friendships. Some people have mentioned some friends and stuff. Uh, there is a time to kind of look at friendships and go, as this part is this now past its sell by date? Are the things that called us together? Uh, it's like a classic thing, of course, is and I'm, I'm, I was definitely uh, part of this when I was a kid. I used to hang out with the worst kids in school. You know, the people who smoked and drank and took drugs and played loud rock music, and it was great. Uh, really fun. He said, "Nick stuff." We had a wonderful time, um, and then it will start to become messy because those people are not very well managed. So the things that may originally attract you to those people, you may kind of go, "You know what? I don't know. If this is really a sustainable relationship." So maybe you need to look at some of your friends and go, "Is it? Is this still a functional friendship where there's equality?" Yeah, it doesn't mean everyone's on their best behaviour all the time, but it's not like constantly you're trying to keep them going and support them and you've now become a free carer you know these this kind of stuff so uh what we got role reversal father and teenage son found the victim of the license son is caretaking oh wow yeah well again it's finding a way to communicate with the person who's in the victim role uh to encourage them to start to take an active role in their future and there's a time and a place for that and also there's a relationship for that so sometimes it's it's easier to do it if you're not in the relationship with them it can be easier if it's a therapist or an external friend or something and then it's easier to manage that but the first thing is the person recognizing you know it's like an alcoholic recognizing there's a problem that needs to be changed and pointing it out to someone who's really stuck in victim mode can be tricky because they'll take that as an attack rather than support but remember that phrase given that and i might post this on facebook because it's it's a really nice way of saying it listening to them go giving that given that everything seems awful you know whatever it is they say so the situation seems terrible no one likes you the world seems to conspire against you there's no end in sight who do you want to be so so agree, kind of agreeing that that is their perspective in the world and how do you want to be about it um Look at more relationships next week. Well, why not? It's quite fun, isn't it, uh, to to observe. What I recommend you do between now and next week is just notice when other people are in any of these roles, perpetrator, per being a parent, telling people what to do, rescuing, unboundaried, or being a victim. Uh, as a kind of an experiment, just notice where you see it, both on the news and in in your real life and if you're really smart and wise notice it in yourself because you'll be running some of this stuff in certain places notice 
when it happens and start to ask yourself some of these questions. I'll post some of this stuff up uh, on Facebook to help you out. Um, and also prepare some questions for next, if you want to talk more about relationships and dealing with other people, prepare some questions for uh, next week so we've got some stuff in advance that we can focus on. Stuff like Sharon's, in, I think, asked an interesting question. It's not our place to fix people, uh, but it's not our fault either that we're in the victim role, being mindful of when in the role, I suppose, where we can make a change. No, it's not It's not our fault. It's not really about fault and blame. Um, and, and we have to distinguish between being genuinely a victim. So let's say you have been abused, then you're a victim of that abuse. But it's about taking that role and feeling that way about everything. And it's not our fault. It's not about fault. The question always to ask is is this moving my life on in the way I want and if it isn't then what do I need to do to change it um, can we use the lightning process to help with this yeah absolutely anytime you notice yourself in one of those states in the lightning process we describe that as being in the pit which means you're engaging in neurology which isn't useful for you uh, so to catch yourself and kind of go hmm maybe not for me uh, Agita, um, friends who never visit or make contact, uh, yeah, uh, and when I stop having contact, nothing happens. That means they're probably somebody's not that interested anymore. And just, like I said earlier, just because they were friends doesn't mean to say they have to be friends for the whole of your life. Uh, there, there can be some friendships which which last and do really well without with very little input, and then when you do meet, it's brilliant. But also people move on, people change, and that's okay too. We don't have to be locked into, because you're a friend, a good friend for a long time, you always have to be a friend. That's not a friendship. <laughs> nice to see you, Lucy. Uh, I, I'm saying goodbye from the, <laughs> the, the, the holodeck of Starship Enterprise. Uh, and I look forward to seeing you guys next week, Tuesday, 6 o'clock, where we'll carry on this conversation. The Mind-Body Connection Podcast. The Body and Mind.